The reading is taken from Romans 11, starting at verse 33. If you have a church Bible, we're looking at approximately page 1139. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Well, good morning, everyone. This morning we're going to be looking at Romans 12, verse 2a. But before we do that, let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we thank you this morning that we can come to the Bible knowing that you have spoken and you continue to speak to your people through it. And so, Father, we pray again this morning that you would speak to us in your word. Father, we would ask you that you would show us the Lord Jesus Christ and that you would make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this morning then we come to the first part of Romans 12 verse 2, Romans 12 verse 2a. And straight away it's worth observing that this verse is about something theologians call Progressive sanctification, which sounds like a complicated term. And progressive sanctification isn't a Bible term, but it is a theological term, and I think it's a useful term to help us this morning. Progressive sanctification isn't a Bible term, but it is a Bible idea. So what is progressive sanctification? Well, progressive sanctification is the ongoing process of being made more like Jesus, bit by bit, if you like. Progressive sanctification is the ongoing process of being made more like Jesus. Let me remind us this morning of some glorious truths. For those of us who are Christians here this morning, we are forgiven people. Our sins have been forgiven by our God We're reconciled to our God. Once we are enemies of God, but now we are reconciled to Him. We're declared righteous in God's sight. We've been adopted into His family. And all of these blessings and many more besides, they are all given to us by God's grace alone. We simply receive these wonderful blessings by faith, by faith alone. So God has reconciled us, adopted us, forgiven us, and so on. But God's purposes for us are even greater than these. God's purpose is to make us more like his son, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. 
So our God has resolved to sanctify us in this life, to change us from the inside out to be more like Jesus, bit by bit. And then one day in the future, one day when the Lord returns or we die, He will glorify us when we enter into His presence. He will make us perfect. But here and now, our God is about the business of changing us to be more like Jesus from the inside out. And one way, we might say the main way that the Lord goes about changing us is by transforming our minds, as we'll see in a moment or two. One commentator says that the world wants to control your mind, but God wants to transform your mind. That's similar to what Steve was saying earlier on. The world wants to control our minds, but God wants to transform our minds. And I think it's worth noting early on this morning in this message that we are in the middle of a spiritual battle as God's people. We are in the middle of a battle for the mind. You see, the world out there wants us, wants our children to think in a certain way. But our God wants us to resist the pressure that the world puts on us to think a certain way. And our God wants to renew our minds so that we think like, we increasingly think like, and therefore increasingly live like the Lord Jesus Christ. So before we look at this verse more closely, one more piece of background that I think will be helpful. This verse contains two commandments, two instructions two things that God's people, that we are to obey. And these commands can only be obeyed effectively by us who are Christians. What do I mean by that? Well, Romans chapters 12 to 15, Romans 12 to 15, they contain instructions on how to live the Christian life. But it's only Christians who are empowered by the Lord to obey these instructions effectively. Not because we're better people, not because we're more moral people, but because as Christians, only we have the Holy Spirit who can help us to live in obedience to the instructions in chapters 12 to 15. So in the beginning of Romans, in Romans chapters 1 to 11, these chapters tell how as God's people we're forgiven by him, we're declared to be righteous in his sight, Romans chapters 1 to 11 go on to tell us how as God's people we're united to Christ. It's as if we are in Him, we are united to Him by faith. And these verses, these early chapters rather, they tell us how the Christian has been freed from the mastery of sin and how we've become slaves of righteousness. So the commandments of Romans chapters 12 to 15 are commandments that only God's people can hope to obey effectively. It won't be perfectly in this life, but Romans 12 to 15, those commandments, only God's people can hope to obey them effectively, albeit imperfectly in this life. Only those of us who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, God's people, will be obedient to these commands. And as we'll see in a moment, it's, only, it's because only the Holy Spirit can bring about the transformation of our minds that the Lord requires of us. So let it be said at this point this morning, if you're not a Christian here this morning, 
You cannot earn acceptance with God through what will be a failed attempt to obey this verse. If you're not a Christian here this morning, the thing that you need to do, as it were, the thing that you need to obey, the commandment that you need to obey, is to repent of your sin, to turn from your sin, and to turn to Jesus for forgiveness through his work on the cross. Once you've done that, the Lord, or as you do that, the Lord will give you his Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit will be living in you, and he will begin his work of transformation in you. Once we are Christians, when we've become Christians and the Holy Spirit lives inside us, we begin to obey God's commandments, not outwardly only, but from the inside out. We begin to obey increasingly. We begin to obey God, not to earn our salvation, but in response to God saving us from our sins. So let's have a closer look at this verse, Romans 12 a. As the Apostle Paul so often does in his writings this morning, we have a don't followed by a do. Let's see if this works. We have a don't, there we are, followed by a do. The Apostle Paul says, don't do this, rather do that. And that's a common pattern that the Apostle Paul uses in his writings. So our first point then this morning, the first half, if you like, is don't. There's something here that we're commanded not to do. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. As God's people, we are not to live our lives in line with the way that the rest of the world lives their lives. We're not to conform to the pattern of their living Well, the world here means non-Christian men and women, people who, whether they acknowledge it or not, live in opposition to God and His ways. So the way that we as Christians are to live our lives is not to be a result of following the way that the world lives. We remember the Lord Jesus Christ says in John's Gospel that His people are to be in the world, but not of the world. If you have the New Living Translation in front of you this morning, um, it paraphrases or translates uh, Romans 12.2 as this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. So our conduct, our behavior, is not simply mimicking the world, is not to be a result of mimicking the world. Our standards, our moral framework that Steve's spoken about already this morning, these things are to come from elsewhere. But this verse isn't just about outward behavior. It's primarily about how we think. Because our outward behavior results from what we think inwardly. So we are not to think in the way that the world thinks. That's what Paul is commanding us, is instructing us not to do not to think in the way that the non-Christian world thinks. In other words, we're not to be led by, we're not to be influenced by the world's beliefs and values. We're not to be led by, we're not to be influenced by what we might call the spirit of the age. Well, pastor and writer John MacArthur says this, 
The Germans call it the Zeitgeist. We've got German everywhere this morning, haven't we? The, the Germans call it the Zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, the ghost of the age, all the floating mass of ideas, thoughts, opinions, views, religions, philosophies, theories, maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations, temptations, all of it. We're not to allow our thoughts, our beliefs, our worldview, our priorities to be dictated to us by the world out there. As the message paraphrases this part of this verse, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Well, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul warns Christians, Paul warns the Colossians about being taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Philosophy which depends on human tradition and the principles of this world. So again, we're to resist the world's attempts to influence our minds, to influence how and what we think. There are many prevailing philosophies that we must resist in our contemporary society if we are to think and therefore live like Christians. And we've been influenced by these philosophies all the time, even when we don't realize it. That's the danger, as we'll get to in a moment. Just a couple, now that's not true, about eight philosophies that I'm going to mention very, very briefly that we need to resist some of them will be familiar to you. I'm sure they all are, even if you don't know the label. Postmodernism, the belief that there is no such thing as absolute truth, the belief that all truth is relative, the belief that we can experience and even define our own personal truth. It's all around us. The false philosophy of materialism, the belief that personal freedom and fulfillment and happiness are to be found in the acquisition of possessions. The more we have, the happier we'll be, the more meaningful life will be. Out there again, individual autonomy, the belief that one's high, the, the, the highest authority in our lives is or should be our own selves, regardless of anything else. Sexual freedom, the belief that personal fulfillment and freedom is only possible in a society with no sexual constraints. Secularism, the belief that religion should be a matter for private individuals and should have no place in the wider life of society. Pluralism, the belief that all religions are equally valid. Statism, that might be a new one to you. The belief that there is no higher authority than the state or the government. Identity politics, social justice. The belief that at its profoundest level, society experiences struggle between different groups. Oppressive groups, oppressor groups, and oppressed groups. They are some of the false philosophies that all of us are exposed to whether we're reading, whether we're watching EastEnders or the news, all of us are exposed to these false philosophies all the time. And these belief systems are part of what we might call the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. And sadly, some professing Christians are allowing these philosophies to affect, to mold their thinking. 
And that's what we're seeing played out um, amongst uh, some parts of the Church of England, that some professing Christians there are allowing some of these philosophies to affect, to mold their thinking. But we, as those who want to take the Bible seriously, we must not underestimate the power of this world to affect our thinking. You may be familiar with the frog in the kettle analogy. Never tried this. Don't get the RSPCA around to me. But apparently, if you put a frog in a kettle of boiling water, it will try and jump out of it. Very sensible. But if you put a frog in a kettle of cold water and put it on the heat to heat slowly, the frog will remain unaware of the fact that it's slowly being heated to the point of death. Don't know whether that's true, but I think it's a useful illustration. But we, as God's people, are to ensure that we are not frogs in a kettle. That we are not individuals who are members participating of society, but we're having our minds slowly but unnoticeably to ourselves at changed and affected by the world. We must not underestimate as God's people the power of the world to influence our thinking. The world is seeking to influence our thinking and often we can become unaware of its success in doing so. And so just a word of caution this morning. We need to be careful in our friendships, in our relationships, especially with non-Christians We need to be careful in our use of media and social media. We need to be discerning of these things because the world's thinking can affect affect our desires, our aspirations, our priorities. It can affect what we see as normal or wholesome or good. Some of you know this. We go on Facebook and we see the beautiful people. We see the beautiful houses. We see the lots of money. and, And that's what we begin to aspire to without even realizing it. And so as God's people, we must ask the Lord for much discernment and wisdom as we interact with the world. We we mustn't think that we are stronger than we really are when it comes to resisting the world's influence. And so we need to ask the Lord frequently in prayer, individually as churches, to help us resist the world's influence by the power of His Spirit We'll only be effective salt and light in this world if as Christians we resist the world's attempts to influence our thinking. So that's the don't. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. And here's the do. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So on the other hand, we are to do something, or perhaps better put, we're to let something be done to us. We are to let something be done to us. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we're to let an outside power or principle or person See who in a minute. I think we've probably implied that already. But we're to let an outside power or principle or person transform our minds. Because our minds need constant transformation. They need renewal. 
But in ourselves and of ourselves, we are powerless to bring that about. But as we'll see in a moment, our God is about the business of transforming our minds. And we cooperate in the change, in that change, by letting God go about this renewal, as we'll see in a moment. Our minds, then, need renewing. In the Bible, the term mind doesn't simply refer to the brain as a physical organ. The mind, as the New Testament uses the term, it's the inner man, it's the inner being, if you like. It's the real me, it's the real you. The mind is the sum total of all our mental, our emotional, and our spiritual faculties, we might say. The mind is a word that's used to describe somebody's understanding or their views and their opinions. It's all that we are. It's all that we are, if you like, inside, all that we really are. And outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, before we become Christians, our minds are fundamentally flawed. They're fundamentally broken. They're fundamentally fallen. The Bible tells us that the non-Christian mind is depraved. It's futile. It's opposed to God. It's opposed to his truth. That's our default position as human beings with fallen, broken, sinful minds. Our minds need radical repair. They need radical renewal. But in his marvelous grace, in his wonderful grace... Our God is at work by His Spirit, through His Word, renewing the minds of His people. Admittedly, God's name isn't mentioned in this verse, but we're clearly to infer that it's the Lord who will bring about this renewal in His people. So the New Living Translation translates this verse, Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Or the J.B. Phillips, Phillips paraphrase says, let God remold your minds from within. So we're to let ourselves be transformed. And the, the concept here is a radical one. Our transformation, your transformation, my transformation is to be a radical one. We're not talking about tinkering a little bit with the, the edges of our brain, of our mind. It's a radical word. The Greek word that the New Testament uses here is the word from which we get the English word metamorphosis. What do we think of when we think of metamorphosis? Or what do I think of at least? I think of the radical change that happens when a caterpillar changes into a butterfly. Metamorphosis. So the change to our minds is to be a radical one. The Lord is about the business of radically changing my mind and your mind. Just out of interest as well, this may interest you, that the, the English word metamorphosis is also the word um, that's translated as transfigured in the Gospels. So when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, as he revealed his glory to Peter, James, and John, uh, he was metamorphosized. His appearance was radically changed. He was, if you like, metamorphosized. The point of um, just showing that is that our God is about the business of bringing about radical change in his people. But this isn't only about outward change. It's not, first and foremost, about outwardly conforming to moral behaviors. 
learning to behave properly and politely in church or in front of others. Because our God is not only working on our outward conduct, our behavior, more importantly, our God is working on our inner person. He's working on our minds. Our God is about the business of changing the way that we think. He's changing us to think more as Jesus thinks. And as we think more like Jesus, we will begin to live more like Jesus. Our outward attitudes, our outward behaviors will change as our thinking is changed. Our conduct will change as our thinking changes. And this point links our don't, our first point, with our do, the one we're looking at at the moment. Because it's only when we think properly that we, as God's people, will be able to resist being conformed to the world's thinking. So one commentator says, the inward transformation of the mind is the only effective preservative against outward conformity with the spirit of the age. In other words, it's only when we begin to think like Jesus, we increasingly think like Jesus, that we will stop being conformed to the ways of this world. I've got two final things to say, and then we're done. How does our God go about this work of transformation and renewal? How do we let God go about this work in us? After all, this is a command. It's something we are to let be done to us. It's a, an instruction to obey, be transformed. Well, our God transforms us by his word in the power of his spirit. As we read, as we memorize, as we meditate on, as we think over the truths in the Bible, the truths in God's word, God's spirit takes those truths and applies these truths to our minds, to our inner man. The Spirit changes our thinking to become more like Jesus' thinking. He transforms and He renews our minds using God's Word by His power. Quite a long quotation, but I think it's a helpful one. Again, from the American John MacArthur. If you keep learning and beholding the glory of God in His Word, in the Bible... The Spirit of God will transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. It is just that simple and just that difficult. So many Christians are seeking some shortcut to growth, naming and claiming their victory, watching Christian TV, having the hands of anointed prophets laid on them, but the shortcut simply doesn't exist. The greatest thing that ever happened in my life next to my salvation was the day I learned to study and feed on God's Word. I find that the longer, the more intensely, and the more devotedly I look into the glory of Jesus Christ through the pages of Scripture, the more the Spirit of God changes my life into the image of Christ. There are no shortcuts. If I am to grow, to mature, and to finally be transformed, I must feed on the Word of God. And so, if we as God's people are to be obedient to the commands of God, we must take seriously our responsibility to spend time 
in and with the Bible, reading the Bible, so that, that the Bible can go about its work of transformation by the power of the Spirit, or perhaps better, so that our God, through the Bible, can go about his work of transformation by the power of the Spirit. And so we must take every opportunity that we can to spend time in God's Word. Daily personal devotions, home groups, good Christian books, Bible teaching to the whole church, Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, whole church midweek meetings, good Christian music containing Christian Bible truths. These are all ways that our God transforms our minds and our thinking by His Word in the power of the Spirit. going to say something that may be contentious, maybe not. I'll say it, and you can come back and tell me later on. Hold it for afterwards, not now. But uh, generally speaking, and I think it's probably more than generally speaking, but I'll leave it there. I think that it's fair to say that the godliest, most mature, most Christ-like, most useful God-glorifying Christians are the ones who are most disciplined in exposing themselves to the Word. And so if I and if you are to, to aspire to be godly, mature, and Christ-like, and these are all aspirations that we should have, we need to be disciplined in the way that we expose ourselves to the teaching of the Bible. We need to make the most of every opportunity. Maybe a challenge. Maybe you can comment on that to me later. Finally, though, this morning, perhaps you're frustrated by your mind Perhaps you realize that your thinking is not as Christ-like as you would like it to be. You realize that you're not the finished article. Perhaps you experience anxiety or depression. Maybe you experience other mental issues, issues, if you like, that affect our minds. Well, we, we are to be encouraged. As we grow... As we struggle in these things, the Lord Jesus Christ will not abandon us. The Lord will continue to work on our minds in this world by his word and his spirit, but he would also encourage us to look ahead. One day, we're going to have a glorified body and mind. Our bodies, yes, will be totally transformed and glorified, but our minds, too, will be totally transformed and renewed forever. Look forward to that day when we have a mind that is free from the effects of maybe painful memories and experiences. We'll have a mind which is free from forgetfulness, anxiety, fear, mistrust, depression, and doubt. One day, our minds will work as God originally intended them to work. We will have perfect bodies, glorified bodies, and minds that function in a godly way, in a glorious way, something to look forward to. So do, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And may to God be all the glory. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you again for your word to us this morning. 
And we ask, Father, that as your word says, that you would work in us what is pleasing to you. Father, would you take us and by the power of the Holy Spirit, through your word, make us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that on our part, we would take our responsibility, our privilege, to become more like Jesus seriously. Father, help us to become more disciplined in reading your word. And as we become more disciplined, would you give us greater and greater delight in spending time in your word? Father, may we strive for these things in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, would you forgive us when we fall short? Father, we do thank you for your work in us. And we thank you that one day you'll not just simply change us, transform us bit by bit, but one day you will bless us with gloriously new resurrected bodies and minds where we'll be able to, with which we'll be able to worship you and serve you without sin, perfectly for all eternity. Father, help us to concentrate, to fix our mind on these things. Help us to look forward to them, that, we might, that these things might spur us on to live for your glory here and now. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.